your consumers, and I don't even like that word, your consumers, your fans, your tribe are the people who take your story. If they believe that you are doing it authentically and are really rooted deeply in a why that connects to their why, they take it further, farther than you could possibly ever take it. How was our guest today able to grow her company into a $2.2 million tiny business while being a pioneer leading the reusable bag movement? How can we thrive personally, professionally, and financially, all the while not compromising our values rooted in sustainability? That's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll hear today. Quick note, my next weekly newsletter is going out on Sunday. If you're not already signed up and would like for me to personally send you inspirations and highlights from the podcast, you can head to greendreamer.com to sign up. And now to our episode, let's dive in. Hey, it's Kamea Shane, and this is Green Dreamer, a podcast for creatives, visionaries, and entrepreneurs dreaming of a sustainable future. Thank you for bringing your light. If you haven't already, make sure to hit subscribe, and together, let's learn what it takes to thrive in every sense of the word. Our guest today is the founder of EcoBags, which first got started in 1989. With her company, she played an integral part in driving the reusable bag movement, which led to a chain reaction of consumers then thinking about other single-use plastics and their reusable counterparts. More recently, she published a book called The Magic of Tiny Business, which shares her experience and expertise from building up her business into the millions, all the while staying true to her values, putting family first, and keeping hyper-focused on the very specific mission of her company, never compromising for it, but using this vision to help her to guide all the decisions that she made for her business. Green Dreamers, starting with what got her into sustainability, here's Sharon Rowe. When I started my business about 28 years ago now, um, I don't know that I knew I was going on a path of sustainability, which kind of sounds weird, but I knew that I was going on a path where I wasn't compromising my own personal values. And I always believed in deeply that everyone should have access to clean air and clean water clean parks and clean streets. So when I would walk in my neighborhood in Washington Heights in New York City, we called it upstate Manhattan, and plastic bags would you know, float around and get stuck in trees. The only option I had when I went shopping was to bring goods home in a plastic bag, which was usually flimsy and fell apart and became trash right away. And when I saw you know, plastic bags floating in the river, it just made me sad. Mm. And I, I didn't want to be part of that. So really where I started was really just from my own personal connection to not wanting that, to wanting to do something different. And in people's responses to what I was doing, seeing me using my own bags when I went shopping, that brought up that sort of, aha, oh, well, maybe other people are interested in this too. And that's where the the idea to make it a business came from. I also was really, really inspired. I realized years later, looking back, like, where did that come from? I mean, I didn't grow up in a family that was particularly outdoorsy, although I was a pretty avid skier and hiker, but it was really Pete Seeger, you know, and I lived along the Hudson River in Washington Heights. And he recognized 30 years ago uh, that the Hudson River was a mess. It was polluted and no one was paying attention to it. And he said, you know, if we build a boat, people will come down to see the boat and then they'll see the river and then they'll clean up the river. 
Mm. So I think all of that was in my soupy mix of sustainability and environmental activism from the start. For sure. So before this whole zero waste movement became kind of trendy, this was already something you were aware of. Oh, absolutely. And it was something that I was really attached to personally, not just from a shopping bag point of view, but from an any kind of plastic waste point of view. It didn't ever make sense. It was just really practical. It didn't make sense to use something once and then throw it away for it to become trash, especially when I learned, and this is actually even years later, that plastic comes from petroleum. So mm -hmm. why would we use a non-renewable resource that wars are fought over for an item that we use once for our convenience and then we toss it? I mean, obviously now it's expanded to straws and to all sorts of things. But even in the way back, I, deeply I knew polystyrene straws, you know, the bags from the store, the bags on, on produce, which is now more and more and more, that this was not going to end well. Mm -hmm. This was not going in the right direction. Do you feel like you were alone in that perspective back then or was there were other people asking the same questions? So when I first started, I don't know that I knew anybody else asking those questions. But as I stepped out into the world, you know, you kind of when you step out with a really big idea, you sort of attract like particles. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I found more and more people who were questioning what was going on and who were looking for ways to you to create less waste. But they didn't have any alternatives. They couldn't figure it out. They they. Maybe that wasn't their job, you know, and they were moving at a pace that was too fast, so they didn't, couldn't stop to figure it out. It, it wasn't convenient for them to have that alternative. It wasn't in front of them, but they wanted it. Mm -hmm. They knew that it, this wastefulness was hurting them in the long run, just from sort of a, a, a heart point of view. Nobody likes to go to the beach and put their feet in the water and see a plastic bag floating by. I mean, that's just it's just painful or see little plastic bits um, on the beach. And if you're lucky enough, you go to beaches where they're all cleaned up. But in a way, that's hiding the problem because the problem's there. It's just being scooped up. I've been on beaches where I'm actually ankle deep in waste mm. in very fancy places too. But it's the, the beaches that are on the other side of the touristy parts. Yeah. So eventually you wanted to be a part of the solution. And yeah. I'd love for you to walk us through your journey to starting Eco Bags. Oh, sure. Uh, I had been an actress in New York, um, doing a lot of job jobs, as I call them. Some successful, some not. I even worked at 60 Minutes for a hot minute. Um, and I like to say people were in, coming to my shows, but my bank account wasn't thriving. <laughs> so I needed to find a new path. And I was recently married and um, I had a, a newborn. And I was doing a, a, an account executive job. And it just wasn't giving me anything other than a paycheck. And I, I knew that I couldn't do that. And that was right around the time that I started bringing my own bags to the store. And that was based on me asking some friends to bring them home from Europe. So I had some bags because I couldn't find anything locally uh, to use. And one day the phone rang and it was my manager and I was working from home. This is way before the internet. So all we had was some email. And he started berating me for not being at my desk at that exact moment. And I just basically said, I quit. So I really took a leap of faith into the whole, I guess, environmental goods movement. I don't like to call it lifestyle movement because I feel like it's our life, but in that direction of a consumer good that could serve as the alternative to single-use plastics. I said, I'm going to see if I can make this work. And 
because of my acting training, I was maybe a little less fearful than someone else, but I, I didn't know what I didn't know, so I was ready to just jump in. And um, I already knew how to live close to the bone because I was an actor and my, my husband was a musician, so we already knew how to be thrifty. And I thought, why not? Let me see if I can actually create a business um, that's really not about selling bags, but about creating a culture shift, because mm -hmm. I knew it wasn't about the thing. The thing was just, the product was just the opener for how I wanted the world to be, which was with a lot less single-use plastics. And I thought, mm, maybe I can do this. Maybe there's a business here. Um, let, me, let me test it. And that's when I started testing it. Well, today, EcoBags is a $2.2 million business, and it's easy to look at it and just be like, wow, like it's already so big. But it's been a journey, and I'd love for you to take us back to one of the most difficult and stressful moments for you while you were working on building up this business? There were a ton of stressful moments. <laughs> but the reason I named the book that we'll talk about later, The Magic of Tiny Businesses, I decided from the very beginning that I didn't want to give my entire day to the business. I wanted to structure uh, the business so that it was a significant part of my day, but it didn't bleed into family time. So I had that sort of stop working focus on family and focus on vacations and taking time off. And, you know, I say you have to make your health, your business so that you can take care of your business. Right. Mm -hmm. So there were lots of stresses up and down. I'd say the most stressful time was when we, our sales exploded because we were very fortunate and got on the first Oprah Earth Day show um, mm -hmm. because we had people calling from all over um, wanting what we had and what we were doing. I mean, they really connected deeply, again, not with just the product, but with the why behind the product, you know, to create less waste. And, you know, we didn't have enough inventory. We didn't have enough people. We had to go from, you know, two people to six people immediately. Luckily, our cloud-based system worked. Um, and we had to scale very, very quickly. So that was really stressful. But equally as stressful was when we contracted in the recession. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it, because when we contracted in the recession, the the horse was already out of the barn. So not only did we have a lot of competition in this space called reusable bags, which we were one of the first companies out there, and I think maybe the first branded bag. I mean, there were always a lot of bags in the promotional industry, but nobody called them, you know, quote unquote, reusable bags or had that sort of culture shift aspect on them. So when the recession came, as a tiny business, we did not have the financial resources to scale up and fight all the much more uh, robust competitors. So they took a lot of our, our game away, and we had to paddle really fast to stay in the game, and that wasn't that comfortable, and we shrank a lot during that point. But we stayed true to who we were in terms of how we wanted to conduct business, how we wanted to keep our supply chain clean and responsible and sustainable, and I mean, we had lots of opportunities to grow with cheaper options that were less environmentally right. Let's just put it like that, you know, all the non-woven bags. But we chose not to do that. Hmm. What do you think kept you going in spite of all of these really stressful moments? I just think it's showing up consistently. You, you just, whether it's a good day or a bad day in business, as in art, as in acting, you have to show up and it's about breaking the problems down. Um, I like to say, go incremental, not mental, mm -hmm. you know, um, one step in front of the, uh, in front of the others. 
some days are good, some days are bad. 20% of the time, it always falls apart. Um, I think what kept me going was the fact that I owned my time. You know, it was my business. I didn't have to explain to anyone else where I was, what I was doing. That was really important as my family grew. And then I wound up having another daughter. Um, so I had, I mean, another kid. So I had two, two children. And I wanted that flexibility. Um, and I have to say, a few times I did quit. I totally quit. I was like, I am not doing this anymore. It is stressful. I'm not making enough money. I don't have enough financial resources to make this grow. Um, that's it. And I would like slam the computer shut, go outside. And a few times I went off on job interviews. I even took a part-time job in the middle of all this. But ultimately, I came back to building my own business of what I, how I wanted it to be and how I wanted to be in it um, because the other things weren't satisfying. Yeah. So if you could go back to the you back then in a moment when you were like, I want to quit, what would you tell the Sharon back then? I would actually say quit. Go ahead and quit. Because I thought I find that quitting, and I say this to any um, early stage or even mid-stage at this point, entrepreneur, if you really are fed up, go ahead, close up for a day, close up for a week, you know, create your resume, go out, knock on some doors, and you're going to realize what you're leaving. You know what I'm saying? You really have to do a really solid review of what you have and what you want. And chances are you'll come back, I think, refreshed. Mm. I think quitting is actually a good idea because it allows you to work on your business versus working in it. And it's the working in it that can really burn you out. But it's the working on it that gives you the ability to basically drive the bus. For sure. So without needing to sacrifice things that were important to you, what do you think has been key to EcoBags' growth? I think key to our growth has been our steadfast commitment to providing really high quality goods that have a really solid brand story mm-hmm. and being as transparent as possible, um, doing a, having a high tech business, but being very high touch. And I think what's allowed us to grow is our customers because when we started, there was no market for reusable bags. We were at the very beginning of that. We didn't, it's not just because of us. It's because of the people who took our story further and further and further and further. You know, we used the business as a platform for this idea, a stage, if you will, to broadcast. Well, then, you know, you go out into distribution with your products and suddenly thousands of people are reading your little hang tag and saying, oh, yeah, this is what I want too. Then they take your story, your your shoppers, your consumers, and I don't even like that word, your consumers, your fans, your tribe are the people who take your story if they believe that you are doing it authentically and are really rooted deeply in a why that connects to their why. They take it further, farther than you could possibly ever take it. What do you think has been really effective in terms of how you communicated your why? Like, how did you get this message across so strongly that people felt personally connected to your brand? I think a lot of different things. One, obviously, is in this, a lot of this was before social media, too. So you have to really put that into play. So before 2007, six, right around then, right, all the social media stuff came out after that mm-hmm. uh, about, I mean, we're really actively used. Um it was people and it was the store owners because we went B2B. We weren't just a, a brand that went direct to consumers. We went to retailers. Natural product stores were our key market. And those shop owners have relationships with their customers. Mm. And people came in, you know, like the Park Slope Food Co-op in Brooklyn. They've been selling our bags um, and providing them since, oh gosh, since 
early 2000, even before that in the 90s. So there's thousands of bags that have been, you know, distributed through that store, sold through that store that are out in the streets of Brooklyn. And, you know, when you're in a metro area too, not that a metro area is the only place that carries a message, but there's a lot of change makers in those metro areas and a lot of trendsetters and good ideas get picked up and spread, right? Isn't that what Ted's all about? Mm. Good ideas spread. And this idea of creating less waste, especially now. I mean, oh my God, now it's grown so exponentially. I mean, people are, are tracking like Literati app. You can track in geocache um, where all the litter is to create data points so that you know municipalities know where most of the trash is coming from and can affect more effective legislation in terms of bag uh, fees and really engage everybody because it's costing municipalities too much money to get rid of the trash, right? Mm -hmm. When it's no longer convenient. <laughs> yeah. And when there's a dollar thing on it, everybody sort of wakes up. But that didn't just come out of nowhere. That came out of, I like to say, you know, we're still a very tiny business. We've had a lot of influence. And we seeded maybe the first beds of this, if you want to call it a movement, because I think it is the reusable bag movement. Mm -hmm. But everybody picks it up and takes it to whatever next level they can take it to. And then when it reaches the larger brands that have even more, uh, you know, uh, reaching power, like Patagonia, Eileen Fisher, I mean, there's a ton of brands out there that are bringing these big, big messages forward. And we were lucky, because we were in the natural products industry, and we were in the clean supply chain conversation. And we started doing organic uh, cottons and recycled cottons really early on. So you've got people there who are really passionate about what they're doing and they take your story forward. Mm. And they, for, for everyone, they person they touch, te they touch 10, you know, and it multiplies out 10, 100, 1,000, et cetera. For sure. So word of mouth has been really powerful from people really who powerful. believe deeply in this why. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So taking the success of Eco Bags, you recently published uh, The Magic of Tiny Business, a book which walks us through all the learning lessons from building up your business. What was your motivation to write the book? I have a number of inputs on that. One is um, a very close friend of mine who has a much larger business than me, like 10 times in the millions, just really liked how she saw me living my life, right? Was aware how I had was able to do my work, stop my work, and have other parts of my life that were very rich. And because I think she was just really stressed out um, with her business. Another one was that I'm part of a number of really amazing communities of people. And I think that's essential um, to all this movement building and also finding resources. Groups of people that I did not have access to when I first started because they didn't exist or I didn't know they existed, right? Um, a lot of them were on the West Coast, and now they're they're bleeding over here into the East Coast. But um, you know, like B Corps, uh, which I joined in 2012 and was certified. That started like just a few years earlier. And Social Venture Network, uh, which is really like any of the big brands on natural products product shelves, um, started there. Um, and I was also also part of the Women's Presidents Organization, which is a peer to peer advisory for women with million plus dollar businesses. And I felt like we all talk to each other in these groups, but there's so many people outside of them that don't know we exist in that the groups even exist. I wanted to create a book that would be a bridge into these communities that would make it less scary for people who have ideas that they want to expand through business 
to see that there are people creating businesses of impact and meeting their financial and personal goals. Mm. You know, I didn't feel like that bridge existed. And then lastly, I just thought that um, a friend of mine's daughter came to me and said, oh, my God, all these business books, they're just so dull and thick and I can't (laughs) get through them. And I was like, yeah, you know, you're right. So I wanted to create a book that was lighter. And and my book has um, cartoons in it, lots of big print, you know, (laughs) things that are for just not not an MBA type person, because I, I do think a lot of businesses get started. I mean, I started, and I know a lot of businesses get started by creatives, mm-hmm. whether they come from an artistic discipline like I did, or they come from um, just general creative problem-solving backgrounds. And sure. it's a different, less linear sometimes approach. And so we need different ways of, of digesting the information in order to connect with it and to take the tips that feel we feel will work for us into the next step. Mm-hmm. And when you say tiny business, that's part of the title, uh, it doesn't mean like the business literally is tiny. Can you walk us through right. what it means to have a tiny business? Sure. Tiny is like the tiny house movement. It relates directly to less is more. It's how you can have a very big impact with a very focused, specific, intentional idea Um, Seth Godin actually gave me a a very lovely uh, endorsement for the book. And he said, tiny is mighty. Mm -hmm. And I think we can't take on every problem in the world. But if you can focus in on something that you're really passionate about, that really you want to see that piece change, whether it's for me, it was, you know, shifting the culture with reusable bags. For someone else, I like to use the idea of only using organic ingredients in a soap bar or offering coffee at the local coffee shop that has been, you know, locally roasted and you know the entire, you know, seed to roasted kind of story. If those things are important to you, then you weave those things into your business. They become your why. That's and they direct how you run your business and you are going to create shifts in culture that that are bigger than you can possibly imagine because you will attract people who are interested in your story and will want to share your story and then we'll go out and look for more of what you offer in the world. And I mean, that's where we are today. Look how big the reusable bag movement is. Look at, you know, people are talking about saying no to straws, you know, bringing your own water bottle, the organic industry in terms of personal care. I mean, I can just go on and on and on. None of this, or I should say very, very little of this existed 28 years ago. And 28 years ago, isn't that long ago? (laughs) Look yeah. what's happened. I mean, I, there are people who have never gone to a store without a reusable bag. Mm-hmm. So it's really about having a very focused intention that yeah. you build your business around and use to guide all your business decisions. Yeah, all of them, including who you work with, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of your suppliers, you know, and vetting them carefully. And, you know, in business, it can be a little challenging, too, because maybe you can't find that perfect vendor at that moment or that perfect vendor is too expensive. And sometimes you have to do a bridge kind of scenario. So you have to decide. You have to really set your priorities. What is your most important goal with what you're doing? And what is what will you absolutely not compromise on? And what where's your wiggle room? You know, And that's really all personal decisions. But you're really working with what matters most to you because you're using your business to create what you want to see in the world. And that's about you as well as 
the world mm-hmm. because you have to stay healthy in order to take care of the business for sure and grow it. Yeah. So drawing upon the tons of actionable like exercises, mindset shifts from the book, what advice can you offer people who are just so passionate about sustainability and social impact and are having trouble growing and scaling their passion projects and businesses? I would say the key thing to all of this is discipline. You don't know when an idea is going to take hold. You may have trouble scaling something because it's not quite ready yet. In culture, it's not quite time. Or it might be something you're doing. But if you consistently show up day after day and take care of your business in a way that you're focused on your business, you're working on your business, but your ears are also open to what's going on in the world because you can't be isolated doing it. Allow it to unfold. I mean, it's sort of like a allow it to happen versus a push mentality. You know, we have a, you know, go big or bust kind of mentality. Maybe you just got to breathe a little bit more life into it um, and give it some more time or step outside of it and see how you can tweak it a little so that you expand a little or contract a little so that you can, um, if you want to scale it, so you're able to scale it. If maybe you don't want to scale it, you just need enough business to keep it really thriving. Um, cause that's an option too. And that's the one we've chosen so that we really are more of sp- a spawner. I should say mm-hmm. <laughs> people look at us and they say, Oh, I want to do what, how I want to do something like you're doing it. And we go, cool. Right. But I'd say sometimes that sense of it's not taking off yet. It's not big enough yet. is a combination of too much push not enough review of what's going on, not enough listening to what the market really needs because you have to find that entry. You have to open the door, you know, and you have to open the door a little bit more, a little bit more. And then there's a piece of practicing patience there, I think. Mm -hmm. And that can be really challenging, especially if you're trying to make a financial nut. If it's not making enough, I would say first look at the things you can cut back on in your own life because you just might need to give yourself some breathing room. Yeah. So it really helps to just take a step back to review everything and give it some space and be patient. Yeah. And be patient. And I think the review of things is not just the things for the business, but the things for your life. Mm -hmm. I think it's really important to review the concept, the very personal concept of what's enough so that you don't cut out the things that bring you joy, which may be just having dinner with your family, you know, Um, taking a long walk, So you really honor the things that keep you whole because running a business is not easy. This is not a walk in the park. It takes a lot of figuring out. It takes a lot of sitting back. It's, I always say it's like riding a wave or a roller coaster. Mm. Actually probably more like a wave because every now and then you just get dumped on the rock. (laughs) (laughs) You get churned. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and when you get churned, you know, you're still breathing. You're still alive. Go have, you know, go have, go I always say, go have a glass of water, mm-hmm. chill out, because you cannot control everything all the time. And 20% of the time, like I said, it all falls apart. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't have much more. You just have to figure it out yourself. But if you stay on the path, if you stay on it and you're listening and you're actively practicing not only where you want to go, but how you want to do things, you will get where you're going. And you may not get there in a year or two or whatever you set out to be your exact goal, but you'll get somewhere and it will be different than where you are now. 
Mm-hmm. And in the bigger picture in sustainability, what do you think our world needs most to accelerate towards a cleaner, less uh, wasteful and healthier planet? I think we have to put convenience. We have to move it down from number one to number two. I, I'm all about convenience, but not when it puts something else at risk or in harm's way. I think that if everybody slows down a little and just can do one or two things um, a day and practice doing those things, even if they're as simple as, and I always pick on this, but the cauliflower that's wrapped in plastic, just Mm -hmm. don't do that. (laughs) That if every single person takes one single step towards doing the thing that they know will will create less waste and less harm, we will have a gentler, cleaner planet. I mean, and that's just on the personal issue, though. I mean, there's lots of other things systemically that we have to do um, and architecturally. For sure. There's lots to be done. But for us as individuals, it's just taking it step by step. And other people will notice. Trust me. When I used to bring my own bags to the store in the way back and nobody else was doing it, other people noticed me doing that. If you go to the grocery store and you pick up, you know, that cauliflower wrapped in plastic and you mumble to yourself and go, oh, I can't do this. I can't do this. You put that down. (laughs) Somebody's going to notice. For sure. You know, because I feel like every time we do those things that are against what we believe in, because we know they're creating harm, we get pinged. Mm -hmm. We get these little pings and we don't like them. We don't like being pinged all the time. But when you get pinged a real lot, you stop feeling the pings. So we have to stay vulnerable and open um, in order to make those changes and set examples. Yeah. Well, what's next for you that we can look forward to and support either personally or with EcoBags? Oh, that's great for you to ask me that. Thank you. Um, well, I'm actually personally, I'm doing more acting again. So I'm back in the acting seat. Um, and I feel like I'm going around the country and I'm speaking. So I actually welcome people to call me if they know of any venues that they want me to speak at. Um, I'm doing a lot of traveling and a lot of that's around the book. But my goal with this book was to encourage more people to use business as a force for good, to get into that space where you can create a business to create what you want to see in the world to create those changes. And I want to be as instrumental as possible to as many people as possible so that they can then take it and go further and farther. And by the way, my speaking is not um, just here in the U.S. I'm I'm heading out to Reykjavik to speak, which is just, I think that's so cool. Yeah, super exciting. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And, um, And it doesn't have to be, you know, major events either. I'm open to a lot of different things. And I don't know how it's going to all show up. But, but, you know, that in combination with and I really keeping the book, you know, in the top 10 on Amazon and making sure it stays out there in indie bookstores um, so that more people can read it and share it. And there's an audio and there's, you know, it's all available in all the different versions. It's just I want it to play as much as possible. I did this business for 28 years, and I feel like it's give back time. For sure. So where can we find your book online or in stores? And where can we follow your speaking gigs? Yeah. Okay. So thank you for that. Um, my website that I set up just for me is Sharon Rowe. That's R-O-W with an E dot com. Um, and all, everything's there. Press releases, media gigs, speaking, all the links to all my social media, etc. Um, you can also follow me through my business, which is ecobags.com. Then on ecobags, you'll find all the social media and whatnot. I mean, and that's actually been great for us because we have a huge platform on social media for the brand. 
And then Amazon, of course, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound. I've had some really great speaking events. I just came back from Flagstaff where I did a She-Wolf uh, women's collective event. And the local bookstore, Brightside Books, came and they sold a lot of books. And um, I like supporting independent uh, businesses. So, awesome. But Amazon obviously is key too because that's it just goes all over the world. <laughs> For I mean, sure. It's just like, wow, it's Amazon. <laughs> Before we go into our final five, I wanted to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so honored to have you. If you're finding this episode inspiring, we'd so appreciate it if you shared it with two friends who would also enjoy this interview. It can be tough to be in a space that feels often so doom and gloom, and I really hope that together we can support other people within this space to let them know that they're not alone and to help strengthen this movement so we can more quickly work towards a healthier planet for us to call home. Thank you so much if you get a chance to share the podcast anywhere. I so appreciate it. And now on to our final five. Let's power through. What's one inspiring publication or social media account you follow? Oh, gosh. Um, I I like Plastic Pollution. It's on social media, Plastic Pollution Coalition, yeah. Um, Also, I follow Sierra Club, too. Uh, What do you tell yourself to stay positive and motivated? Eat well, swim swim as much as possible. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that leads me to the next one, actually, is what's one must do for your health, weekly or daily? Oh, walking and swimming. I'm I'm a swimmer. I have to be in water as much as possible. Mm-hmm. I did my laps this morning. Nice. Uh, yeah. What's one simple action we can take for our planet's health this week? See if you can shop without any plastic, mm. like zero. What makes you most hopeful for our planet right now? You know, what makes me most hopeful is really all the people who are much younger than me, including my children who are 26 and 28, who feel like they're ready to take up the mantle and, and take Whatever needs to happen, the next step, the next step. I just meet so many amazing people with amazing ideas, and they're not just selfishly pushing forward. They're doing it in a very inclusive, socially and environmental way, and they under they get that sustainability is actually not just about the environment. It's about our social, our physical environment. It's about the social and physical environment that we have. And what final words of wisdom do you have for us as green dreamers? That you can make your work work for you. You can make your work work for you. Green Dreamer, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find the two tweetable key takeaways from this interview in the show notes at greendreamer.com. You can reach me with feedback on how we can improve the show for you through the website's contact page. And you can follow me on Instagram at Kamea Shane. That's K-A-M-E-A-C-H-A-Y-N-E, where I'll be sharing more eco and wellness tips, things that I learn on the daily, and sometimes peeks into the behind the scenes production and updates from the podcast. And finally, just remember, now more than ever, our planet needs your light to thrive. So if you haven't yet, hit subscribe and I will catch you later, Green Dreamer.